First Sunday of a brand new year. It's exciting times. Great that everyone can gather together. Welcome along. Those of you who don't know me, my name's Dave and I'm a part of the team here. I would say uh, after the service, get up there, grab a coffee. It's a beautiful day uh, just because church um, preaching and singing and this part finishes doesn't mean that we stop being the church. Let's get up there, meet some folk uh, and have a chat and that'll be fantastic. And um, yeah, and if you're someone who's just popped in today and you want to know more about us, we'd love to give you a bit of a welcome pack so you can find out who we are. Um, I have uh, spent the last six days the privilege of preaching at a a couple of camps. Um, So this is actually sermon number 11 for the last seven days. Um, So it's a privilege to be able to do that. It does mean I struggled to hit some of the high notes in our singing today. Uh, But God is good and uh, my spirit is full. There's nothing better than just seeing young people give their lives to the Lord. There's nothing better than seeing people recommit their lives to the Lord and seeing people set free from some stuff. God is so good and he's so faithful and he's so wonderful. Um, And what that means is Leona was supposed to preach today, but her husband Josh uh, booked a a bit of a secret getaway for them for some holidays in Port Elliot uh, and she hadn't communicated with him that she was supposed to be preaching. So there you go. So that means is I'm here to preach and I'm excited to be able to bring God's word for the first Sunday of a brand new year. Hello, Leona. I hope I told that story right because you're probably watching online. But it's great to have you here. And um, I'm excited to bring, I'm going to bring one of the words that the Lord laid on my heart for last, or for this past week. Um, but it's so relevant for today. Uh, so relevant for us as we step into this brand new year around the faithfulness of God, around the goodness of God, around the fact that God is with us and that he is for us. So stand to your feet. We're going to pray together. And then we'll preach. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is alive and active. Father God, we thank you that you are uh, true and good and that you are the God who pursues your people. You are the God who is speaking to your people, constantly drawing us to yourself. This morning, we pray that you would do just that. Take your word, Lord God, just breathe on it in a special way. I pray that something would land in people's hearts this morning that they haven't seen before. Something would just grip our hearts unlike anything we have seen before and that it would strengthen us, it would encourage us, it would inspire us, not just for this week, not just for today, but for this year, that 2021 would be a year of just diving into the goodness and the grandeur of our God. We love you, Lord. Take uh, my mouth and use it for your glory. Um, By your spirit speak, we pray. In Jesus' precious name and all God's children said, Amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you, uh, in my household, we have a particular saying which carries a particular meaning, and that saying is this, do you want me to count to three? Anyone else got that saying in their household? Do you want me to count to three? And the interesting thing about that is that my kids innately understand that I'm, I'm not actually asking them if they want me to count to three. Those words have come out of my mouth. But they understand that they're not going to say to me, oh, gee, that'd be good, Dad. And then I go, one, two, three. And they say, well done. You did it. Fantastic. They innately understand that when I say, do you want me to count to three? Their answer is no. Because they recognize that if I get to three, that's a loaded statement that carries a particular consequence that they don't necessarily want to bear. Are you with me? And we understand in our culture that there's certain sayings and certain phrases that we we speak out that mean something 
to us that sound very different to the actual words that come from our mouth. And the same is true in Jesus' day. And what we tend to do is we tend to read stuff out of context. And because we read it out of context, we just totally miss the point. We hear Jesus say, do you want me to count to three? And we're like, well, that'll be interesting. As opposed to diving deep enough to actually understand and unpack what is the true nature of the word that he has just spoken. And what we're going to talk about today is we're going to look at the cry of Jesus Christ. So Josh and Sarah, you are at CE camp. You've heard this. I'm praying God blesses you still. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 through 50. As we hear Jesus let out a particular saying that carries a loaded meaning that may not mean what we first think it means. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he is calling Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine, vinegar, and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of you might remember a couple of years ago, we we looked a little bit at this passage. And God has just been stirring me again that this is a word in season for 2021. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did God forsake God? Did God forsake the son? Does, Does God turn his back on the sinner or is there something else? Because Jesus in this moment Fully God, fully man, he's bearing the sin of the world. The Bible says, he, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And does God, in seeing this, forsake the Son? And if he doesn't, what's with the cry? It's really interesting because this sort of really prompted in my mind a couple of years ago, we'd, we'd just done an event uh, at one of the Ignite Ministry events that we run, and who's now my brother-in-law, he said to me, um, we sung the song, How Deep the Father's Love. Everyone know How Deep the Father's Love? Beautiful old song. First song I ever learned how to play on the piano. Loved it. And we started chatting about this, and he was like, man, I love that song. I'm like, yeah, I love that song too, except for the whole bad theology halfway through it. And he was like, what do you mean? There's no bad theology in that song. That's good theology. I was like, really? What about the part that says the father turned his face away? And he goes, that's not bad theology. That's sound. That is good theology. God is holy, righteous, just. When Jesus took the sins of the world, God, a holy God, could no longer look upon sin. So he turned his face away from that which is sinful so that Jesus could make us righteous. I was like, did he? I was like, yeah, that's exactly what he did. And I went, did he? Is that really what happened? Is that what went on? I said, just think about it for a second. If a holy God turns his back on the sinner and the holy God is the God who produces faith in the sinner, how would the sinner ever find their saviour? How is it that those of us who are prone to sin could ever come into relationship with a holy God if the holy God at the side of sin just turned his back and said, I'm done with you. How could that be? 
Because when I read Scripture, I actually see something very, very different. Because right at the beginning in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sin, when they disobey God, when they take of that fruit, let's leave the apple alone because it doesn't say apple and we always pick on the apple, but how do we know it was an apple? When they sin, who's the one that hides? Does God turn from Adam and Eve or do Adam and Eve hide from God? It's Adam and Eve who go and hide from God. Adam and Eve go away and hide. And what does God do? He comes looking for them. He's like, where are you guys? I always find that hilarious because God knew exactly where they were. But that's the invitational nature of our God. Where are you guys? Adam, Eve. And then they come out to him. God pursued them. God chased after the sinner. The same is true in Isaiah. What happens when Isaiah encounters a holy, glorious, wonderful God? He says, oh, woe is me. And it's God who comes to him and then touches his lips and makes him pure. Same happens with John at the end of the book, in the book of Revelation. God appears to him and what happens? John says, woe is me. You see, it's not holiness that turns its back on sin. It's sin that turns its back on holiness. And what we see in Scripture is that a holy God constantly and consistently pursues his people over and over and over and over and over again. And it culminates, as Betty preached a great message on Christmas Eve up there with Emmanuel, where Jesus is the fulfillment of the pursuing God coming to his people for us. Does God turn his back? On sin, or actually, does God pursue the sinner as we consistently turn our back on Him? And as we were chatting along, and as I was semi passionately sort of pressing my point, He said, I, I see what you're saying. And He goes, But then what is with the cry? If that's true, then Jesus, in bearing the sin of the world, this perfect, spotless, Righteous son of God, in bearing the sin upon his shoulders, why did he cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a really interesting question, but it's a super important question because as we wrestle with this question, as we wrestle with, do you want me to count to three? We find a truth embedded in this short phrase, It transforms the way we see the cross and transforms the way we see God. And here's the first thing I want you to understand. I'm going to give you five Ps. If you're a note taker, who's a note taker in this house? Five Ps. If you're not a note taker, 2021 is a fantastic year to become a note taker. Because that's like we learn. We've got teachers in this room. We learn in multiple ways. Take notes, engage in what's going on. If you want to yell at me, hey, yell at me because I'm yelling at you. Here's your first P, perception. I have no doubt in this space, Jesus, fully God, but fully man, in this moment, in his state that he is in, on a cross, bearing the sin of the world, I have no doubt that he perceives a distance with the Father. And this is revealed in the saying itself. Up until this point, how does Jesus refer to God? It's always Abba. It's always father, 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 father. And yet here he says, Eli, Eli. Here he says, my God, my God. Here he says something different than he said before. Why? Because there is a perceived distance. But here's what I want you to understand. Just because you perceive something isn't present doesn't mean it's not present. Go back to your sleepovers back in the day. 
You remember your sleepovers when you'd be in your room, you'd have your friend in your room and you'd be talking and mum and dad would let you talk for a little bit, but eventually they'd get sick of it and they'd come in the room and be like, oi, that's enough. Be quiet, you lot. Go to sleep. And you'd be dead quiet, you'd lie there and you'd just pretend like you weren't talking, even though you knew full well that you were. And you'd lie there and you'd be quiet for about 15 seconds. In your mind, it was about five minutes, but you're just quiet for 15 seconds. The door shuts and then you roll it like, oh, thank goodness, they're gone. And then you just keep talking again. And before you know it, the door flings open. Oi, I said, be quiet. My dad used to say, or I'll, you know, be quiet or I'll rip your arms off and beat you to death with the soggy ends. That was his phrase. <laughs> he didn't actually mean it, but it was a classic phrase. I haven't used it on my kids. Because it's fairly abusive. But, <laughs> but you used to lie and you're like, how did he know? How did he know I was talking? He's not in the room. I was whispering. And then you become a dad. And then you realise, actually, dad was always there. He never went away. He just stood at the door with the door shut, just listening. And just because I couldn't perceive his presence didn't mean he wasn't present. He was exactly present. I just couldn't perceive it. And the same is true with God. There are times in our life when darkness is coming against us, when we genuinely feel like, I can't can't see God. I can't feel God. I can't experience God. God has left me. But just because you can't perceive him doesn't mean he's not present. And Jesus in this moment, in his humanity, I have absolutely no doubt that this was a moment for him. In his humanity, where he's on that cross, like bearing the darkness of the world, feeling a disconnect from the Father, I have no doubt that he perceived that distance. But this is the same man who his whole life had declared, I and the Father are one, this is the same man who in John 16, 32, talking to his disciples about the fact that he was about to go to the cross, said, you're going to leave me alone, disciples, yet I am not alone for my father is with me. This is the same Jesus who told them, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die, but take heart because three days later, I'm going to rise again. He declared it over and over and over and over and over again, the same Jesus, who had the presence of mind whilst dying on a cross to look after his own mother. The same Jesus who had the presence of mind to consummate the Passover by taking the last cup. There's another message in that. It's a good one. The same Jesus who was so on in tune and on purpose the whole time. I don't think that when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's just a random haphazard saying. I think everything Jesus says has a purpose because that's how he lived his life. That's his second P. Because he is the God of purpose. He came for a purpose and he lived in that purpose and every word he spoke, spoke to that purpose. And so if he came for this purpose to redeem humanity, if he knew what he was doing and if he knew what he was saying, then what the heck is with the cry? And I want you to, Grasp something right here, right now, as it has everything to do with the fulfillment of prophecy. For a moment, just put yourselves in the disciples' shoes. You're a disciple, you're following Jesus. He called you out of whatever it is that you were doing. And you followed this man. And in your mind, because this is what you've been taught to believe, the Messiah, the King 
the King of the Jews, the King who has come, God's man, he was going to come and he was going to overthrow Rome. Rome was the power of the day. He was going to get rid of them. He was going to establish a, a material earthly kingdom that, uh, that made Israel who it was back in the days of King David. That's what you believed the Messiah would do. That's what was taught. He's going to be a physical king. And you were excited because up until now, you're like, how is Rome ever going to be overthrown? How could anyone possibly defeat this power? And then Jesus rocks up. And it starts, you're at a wedding and Jesus turns water into wine. And you're like, all right, well, when we win, the party's sorted. But then you also reason, well, hang on, if he can turn water to wine, he can probably turn other stuff into water. So when it comes to the war, we're pretty well sorted in terms of thirst. And then you see him take a couple of loaves and a few fish and he turns it into a feeding of 5,000 people. And you'll think, jeepers, when we're at war, we're not going to go hungry. He's got that covered. And then people who are sick and people who are injured and people who are wounded and Jesus rocks up and all of them get made well. And you think, oh, this is pretty good. Someone gets, you know, unwell in the war or, or someone gets injured or whatever. Jesus is just going to go, bam, get back in there, bro. And you're like, he's got that covered. And then he raises the dead. And you're like, oh, now we're in business. Because the moment I'm fighting against the Roman soldiers and they kill me and then Jesus comes, get back up. And you're like, whoa, I'm back in the battle. And the Roman soldiers will be like, how can we defeat these guys? Because Jesus just keeps raising them all from the dead. He's feeding them. We're stuffed. And they're like, yeah, he's going to overthrow this kingdom with him. We're going to do all things. And then all of a sudden, this king who you thought he was going to reign and rule and do all of this is hanging on a cross. And you're going, what are you doing, you maniac? This isn't what I thought it was. No wonder they all left him. No wonder they were so confused. No wonder they all sort of just disappeared and then sort of worked their way back around. How confused are you right now if you're that person? The answer is very. And so Jesus in this moment, who despite the fact that his whole ministry with them was declaring the way that he was going to institute his kingdom, despite the fact that he told them just before, I'm about to die, but don't worry, I'm going to be raised from the dead. He'd done this over and over again, and yet they still had this in the back of their mind. He needs a way to declare the truth of what he's doing. And so he says something. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what he is doing here is he is declaring the first couple of verses of three messianic psalms. Now, if you are a Jew, you grew up memorizing the Messianic Psalms. You knew them off by heart. It's like me saying, do you want me to count the three? You just know what the next answer is. It's me saying one plus one equals. You say two. What if I was going to say something different? But you innately know that's the answer to the question. When someone quotes the first line of a Messianic Psalm, it says to them, Right, he's referring to the entirety of those three Psalms. Psalm 22, Psalm 23, Psalm 24. Go there now, Psalm 22. Listen to this. This is what Jesus is declaring whilst hanging on a cross to his disciples. Because you need to understand, he's fairly fatigued. 
I get puffed out five minutes of footy. Jesus has been tortured and beaten for 40 hours and he's hanging on a cross, barely able to breathe. He's not going to sit there and sermonize. He's not going to sit there and go, guys, remember what I told you last week? Remember what I told you before? Let me recount everything. He's not going to do that. He's on his last breath and so he needs to communicate quickly and effectively what he is doing to his very confused disciples. So he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22 says this, written 1,000 years before this event, 1,000 years before Jesus is hanging on a cross, 1,000 years of prophetic voice to the people of Israel about who the Messiah is, what he was coming to do, and how he would accomplish his purpose. And it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Jump ahead, it keeps going. We'll pick it up from verse 11. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Interestingly, Bashan refers to that Roman Empire. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Listen, listen, people. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. Listen, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. A thousand years before, they knew this off by heart. They're confused as anything. Jesus is hanging on a cross and he's like, how do I get them to remember? How do I get them to remember what it is that I came? I know what I'm going to do. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what he's saying is, hello! Psalm 22, Psalm 23, you know this. You know this, the Messiah is going to bring about his kingdom by dying on a cross. And here I am with nails in my hands, nails in my feet. My bones are on display. My heart is literally about to turn to wax when they put the spear in me. You know this and I'm fulfilling it right here, right now. It's his way of saying, go back to the Psalms, go back to the promise, fourth P. Come back to the promise of God. And the promise of God, as you read through Psalm 22, oh, it's good, is this. Go to verse 22, Psalm 22, verse 22. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not. Everyone say not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not, everyone say not, hidden his face from him. But he has, everyone say has, listened to his cry 
for help. Friends, the whole purpose of Jesus' cry and saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is that we would understand the complete opposite is true, is that God has never forsaken us. And he has not forsaken the son and he will never forsake the son because he is the God who pursues his people. And Christ is there hanging as the fulfillment of that promise saying, look, I'll never leave you. This is the evidence of that. I'll never leave you. And that's the truth of the promise. Go to Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Not because he forsakes me when stuff's hard. Because you are with me. God is with you. Friends, it's a word for 2021 because let's face it, this year's got some uncertainty. I thought last year was interesting. Who knows what this year holds? But gee, I have faith and I have hope. And gosh, I'm actually quite excited about what God's going to do because the promise of God for this church, for His people in 2021 is come what may, you will never be forsaken. I have you. And I have you and I have you and I have you and I have you. I have you. That is the promise of God. I have you. I will not forsake you. I'll never leave you. And the fifth P, how is it that we know this? Well, we know it through the fulfillment of prophecy, as we just said. We know it through the promises of God. What if we made this year the year that this became a priority in our lives? Do you know, you can read the whole Bible in 72 hours. What if we devoted 72 hours of the however many hours, I didn't do my maths, 24 times 365. Do you know, I once was at a conference where someone got up there and spoke about the fact that they played football every day of the year. It goes 356 days a year. (laughs) I laughed. (laughs) What if this was a priority this year? What if we just devoted a little bit of time to get around the promises of God that we might know the presence of God, that we might have hope, that we might have peace, that we might have assurance, that we might rest in the fact that he is with us, that he is with you, that he is with all of us, no matter what this life throws our way. And then the last way that we know the presence of God that I want to just hone in on right here, right now, is the fifth P, which is people. And band, you can come up and we're going to close. People. How is it that God reveals his presence to his people, oftentimes it's through his people. So often it's through his people. Lots of you know the story in, in Benji's early days when life was pretty tough for Joe and I. We had moments where we felt like we were in that dark shroud, unable to feel the presence of God, unable to... I was like, God, where are you in all of this? And it, do you know what he revealed to us? He didn't come and write on the lawn in the morning, I'm with you. It's not what he did. He didn't have a lightning bolt that go, I've got you. No, do you know what he did? He had his promises, but actually he showed his presence to us through his people. We had people come and clean our house for three months. We didn't cook a meal for three months. Like we just said, God just used this community. He used people just to bless us so we would know that we're not alone, that we would know that we're not forsaken, that we are a part of his beloved body, that we, he's present with us. And this is why I have this conviction in my heart that 2021 has to be the year 
that Hills Baptist Church kills a consumer version of Christianity. Church is not an event. It is not an experience. It is not a building. It is a people. Church is not coming, sitting at the back, hearing some guy get excited about some stuff, singing some songs and bailing. No, it is a people. And you have a part to play. Everyone has a part to play. It doesn't matter if it's talking, if it's loving, if it's caring, whatever it is, you're a part of the body. You have an opportunity to show the presence of God to to someone who needs it. It's a family. And this is why I find it so funny when people, and I said this to you guys last year, but when people are like, Jesus, yes, but I'm not really a church person. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever because Jesus is the head of the church, which is His body. Think about it. He's the, he's the bridegroom who's come for His bride and He's united us to Himself. When was the last time you saw a bride at a wedding and the pastor's there to you and the groom's like, yes, I choose you. And then the bride's like, I choose your head. The body? Yeah. I can do without it. It's not quite as fit as it used to be. It doesn't happen ever because we say yes to the whole and the church is Christ's body. Are you with me, church? And this is the beauty of the church. This is the beauty of the people of God is we're all so different. It's magnificent. The disciples were different. Gosh, tax collectors, fishermen, you got Peter up there yelling at people and you've got others who are just gently following and John just laying his head on Jesus' breast, like just an eclectic group of human beings. And look around you right now. Go on, literally do it. Look around. Welcome to an eclectic group of human beings. But how beautiful is it? It's the church. It's the body of Christ. It's what we're called to. And here, right in this space, right now, as we do life together, is the presence of God. He's saying, look, this is my presence amongst you. The church, look what I've done. Transform life, transform life, transform life, transform life struggling, but someone here who's full of faith coming alongside that person and running the race with them. Someone else who's wrestling with some questions and this person over here has an answer to their question. But if they never come and ask the question of the person, the person can never give the answer to the person needing the question answered. It's a body. And it's actually different message but it's actually the one of the means through which Christ actually sanctifies us and makes us more like himself because we all love to hang out with people who are just like us but we don't grow in that space and God's about our growth about our Christ likeness about discipling us and therefore we got to hang out with other people with different views and different opinions and different way of doing things and instead of coming in a room be like ooh not sure about you you go thank God for you because you challenge me and stretch me and grow me and you're making me more like Jesus. God reveals His presence through His people. Friends, this has to be the year that consumer Christianity dies in the Adelaide Hills. This has to be the year that the church rises up and is just 
the church, that we prioritize the people of God. I'm not just talking about attending a church service. I'm talking about getting together. I'm talking about praying together. I'm talking about doing lunch and dinner together. I'm talking about opening up opening up our home and saying, just come over. Now my house is a mess and I've got eggs. But that's enough. Because you're my brother and sister in Christ. And you need encouragement. God wants to reveal his presence to his people through his people. Can we stand to our feet? As we close today, I want to I want to come back to those messianic psalms just quickly. Psalm 22 verse 24. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to hear this. Please let this go deep into your spirit this morning. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is what he's declaring. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering. He's with you in whatever you go through this year. He has not hidden his face, but he's listened to the cry for help. He's with you. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Matthew 28, go therefore unto all the nations and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he finishes the last words that Matthew writes. The very last thing he says is what? Behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. I wonder if that's a promise someone needs to hear today. I wonder if that's a promise someone needs to hold firm to this year, 2021. Put it on the fridge, put it on the bathroom mirror, put it on the car, whatever that thing is at the front, not a car guy. Wherever you need to hear it, wherever you need to see it, every morning to remind yourself, God is with you. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are the God who pursues his people. We thank you that in Christ we see the fulfillment of that and in his cry we hear the proclamation of that recorded in the pages of history from beginning to end that all might know that you are faithful. And as we start this year, may this be the year of killing that consumer spirit and truly becoming the people you've called us to be, abiding in you and walking in the fullness of your presence. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And I just want to finish by declaring over each one, every one of you, what God spoke over Joshua as Joshua was about to step into his mandate. And he said, be strong and courageous. Why? For I am God bless you guys. I love you. I am so excited for what God is doing this year. And I can't wait to hear the stories in the year to come of the faithfulness of our great God. Let's worship. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.